Hi, this is Bianca, and welcome back to another episode of Girl Talk Mondays. So today I have Nika here with me. She's the founder of Paradise Row, the handbag brand born and bred in East London. And so today we're going to be discussing all about her brand, um, her business, her career, uh, why she decided to found her own company, and yeah, everything about Paradise Row and what it's been doing for the East London culture. So yeah, thank you so much, Nika, for coming on. I'm excited to have you here today. Me too. <laughs> so to begin with, for all of our listeners who don't know the brand and who don't know you, yes. tell us first about yourself and how did you get into design? Okay, well, I actually was a management consultant. Oh yeah! Before I started um, Paradise Rome, I was in that industry for four to five years. I, however, all growing up, like my whole childhood, I was always designing things, constantly mm. designing things. But back in my head, I thought it was just a hobby. I didn't realize mm-hmm. to make a career out of it. Then we got to a point when I was in my job as a management consultant where the creativity stalled and I went on to apply for this mobile app design for Santander and I won out of hundreds of applicants including some seniors and when I won I was like okay this is the turning point for me I knew that I was meant to design something create something of my own and my skills and my vision weren't being utilized enough so that's where I started going in. You missed that, you wanted yes. that creativity in exactly. your life and the job that you had before wasn't. Yes, but I had to see that sort of work kind of. Oh, interesting. Yeah, launched into yeah, it. Yeah, because it's a very different background. Yes, totally. Know. And sometimes <laughs> you find that as well with entrepreneurs that their career and then what they launch is completely different. Mm. And I guess that passion, right? Exactly. And um, I always wanted to set something up on my own. Um, but I didn't know what. Mm-hmm. I, when I was younger, as I said, when I was designing, I was always envisioning starting a brand. Yeah. But you know, it falls to the sidelines. And then um, when I I actually studied psychology and business psychology um, as my degree and for my masters, I knew that I wanted to set something up which does social good. Mm-hmm. I had I had no idea. I just there was just something inside me that was like I want to, not just to create some brand. Or a business is for the sake of being business, but yeah. something that benefits people, community, and so on. And then eventually, with that turning point of uh, <laughs> at Santander, um, I uh, live in East London, I live in Bethnal Green, mm-hmm. and I discovered, I was reading an article, and I discovered that where I live, London has such amazing history. So I always love reading about different areas. And in them and I found out where I lived was a really heavy textile manufacturing area um, 40 years ago oh, and, and beyond 40 to 30 years ago started declining this industry because a lot of London brands were outsourcing for cheaper labor so that kind of decimated the industry and in a 10-year period between 1986 and 1996 Lots of these brands moved their production to China, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the light bulb moment for me, where I was like, right, I want to create a brand 
that is powerful enough to show what's happening with this industry and almost like reverse it, be a catalyst for other brands to start making locally because I think lots of people don't realize when you move production elsewhere, the social impact it has is, is terrible. Jobs are lost, so people move away to get a new job out of the area that they grew up in and therefore families have to separate and communities are a decline and they are also split as well. So I don't think people realise the social impact of, of producing locally or moving it abroad. And so that kind of all just came full circle for me and that's, that's how Paradise Row started. With the idea of you know social and helping the community exactly, and it was brought my two worlds together: mm-hmm. social impact and design. Yeah, in a brand. It's not often that you hear stories like that. I mean, not to think about any brand because everyone who starts their own businesses, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing, entrepreneurship. But it's so rare to hear the idea of starting up a business for the social good mm. and then being like, okay, so. More like okay this is what I want to do and then it goes from there but so from that how did you decide handbags actually yes so as I said that like East London um, well London in general was known for its leather goods you know everyone yeah. internationally when they came to London they bought a leather mm. briefcase or a leather satchel mm. or anything like a leather good from yeah. London yeah and I thought, what a shame, you know, like, how can a London brand not be made in London? Mm-hmm. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, uh, oh, you could have all sorts of leather items, but for me, I was obsessed with bags, always. Um, I'm more of a bag girl than a shoe same, girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? What, more than a shoe girl? Oh, definitely. I love ha- I love a good handbag. It really makes your outfit. Exactly. And... As you could see with previously when I showed yeah, you that yeah. collection, like when you put it on and dress, it's just oh, instantly it completes it, uplifts yeah. an outfit. Yeah, exactly. So I just, um, but I always knew I wanted to evolve it into a leather goods brand. Um, I just love the kind of the luxury of the material, and people don't know this, but actually from Ethel Green and Hackney, that's when Jimmy Choo first started. He trained on Mare Street. Green. Oh, I did not know yes. that. Yes, and Anya Himmarsh as well. Yeah. There's a lot of amazing British designers wow. that actually come from the area, and I just that also inspired me to to go into handbags, but but just to also somehow keep the classic design of the history of London through the mm-hmm. through the design. And that but was the idea behind your first collection, actually, yes. right? It was, yes. Yeah, to illustrate the idea of the culture and the vibe of East London. Exactly. I was like, well, you know, this is my message. Mm-hmm. Oh, as what I said before about reviving the industry, leather industry of East London. So I was like, well, the brand is born here. Bags are made here. Then why not the first collection dedicate to the, the history of the area? I don't know. Internationally, I think everyone hears about West London's history or Central London, and I think East London was history is fascinating, just because it's you know, not 
about uh, it's not very glamorous or it's not about wealthy people it's still I think the history is very important and significant and um, the establishments that are there they've all come from like doing so social good so um, the charms that I have on the bags they all represent like a significant cultural establishment of East London for example pearly bag is um, named after the pearly king and queens and they're a real East London institution they're a charity that started 150 years ago and they were originally um, fruit and vegetable traders it, one day they looked at the poverty around them and they're like we have to do something it was the kind of the uniform of the dress of these um, fruit and vegetable traders they had pearls going up their trouser seams and they said you know what we're gonna make more attention and do our whole suit in pearls oh. and then you know they were getting snapped by press and so on they managed to raise money for char local charities around them local hospitals and now these suits they're passed down from generation to generation so if you see Pearly King like on Brick Lane Nowadays, you know that their great-great-great-grandpa was the original Pearly King and wow. it was that title has been passed down to them and it's almost like their duty that they have to do charity work. Yeah, and that's just one bag that I've like, of the yeah. first collection, core, that I've um, shown the history of these so interesting. You really put a lot of thought and attention into the bags, not only in design but in the meaning behind it yeah that's so important to be aware of like your surroundings and your culture mm, I think otherwise I won't be able to design I think for me personally the um, the history and society and culture around me really informs my designs and creates that vision in my head otherwise that's that is my personality that's how what I'm inspired by yeah and that's you need inspiration to, exactly. to design. Oh, completely. But so how have your collections evolved over the years? So now it's coming up to almost three years of yes. Paradise Row. So in 2020 will a be. A young brand um, <laughs> already doing a lot. Actually, I've noticed your, yeah, your company was featured in articles on British Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, The Telegraph, mm -hmm. as like a brand to watch out for for 2019. Oh yeah, that's Telegraph so, Luxury. Yeah, yeah, Telegraph. So it's definitely, yeah, I think it's definitely making waves in the oh, British industry. But yeah, so you spoke about your first collection, and then how have your next collections been different to that? Um, so when I released the first collection, I was really blown away by um, people approaching me, and especially brands in the hospitality industry, like hotels and restaurants. And I was like, okay, and they were like, yeah, we love the leather, we've seen your collection, we love the leather that you use, um, and also we love your brand story. And I was like, hang on a minute, there's so many kind of British leather brands, mm -hmm. haven't they approaching Paradise Row? Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think it is because it ties into like history culture. So for my next collections, I was like, do you know what, I'm doing once a year, collection and each collection will be designed based on different aspects of society. So the first one being culture, specifically the East End where the bags, bags were born, 
The second one was on psychology, and the third one now is going to be on the arts. I love the empathy collection. Actually, I love your new collection that's launching. I think that's my favorite. They're just so beautifully done. It's like art on a bag with like different faces capturing different emotions. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just so nice and something so different and unique. And like we said, a bag really makes your outfit. Mm. So that's like the statement piece. Yeah, thank you. Well, the, the second collection, the empathy collection, key is in the, the name. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, as I said, it's inspired by psychology, but I kind of want to we're, we're in this current climate right now where I just feel like there's a lack of empathy. So I kind of like my message to the outside world and you know, some people are orators, some people are writers, I'm a designer, mm -hmm. this is how I get my mm -hmm. uh, opinion and message across. Yeah. I was looked into I think five emotions that you need to feel regularly to be an empathetic person. Um, how, what makes you an empathetic person? If you regularly feel joy, if you regularly feel hope, if you also understand sorrow and you feel that from time to time and accept that, you feel love and, um, and you feel awe with the yeah. world around you. I think a lot of people don't actually feel awe anymore. Yeah, um, that's true. Like me looking out here, that's mm -hmm. giving me awe. And I think these five emotions make you an empathetic person and I think we really do need that so that's how it drove that design for that collection. So about the design process, I'm super interested in this, did you have any prior knowledge before going into um, design, especially with leather goods because it's so complicated to work leather, so what was your background in terms of the design aspect and how long did it take you to go from like initial idea planning down to collection launching? Wow, um, absolutely no design qualification, but as I said that I was always obsessed with designing yeah. from a young child and um, you know my parents and my family they all come from professional backgrounds, you know, having a creative career, it was, I was not even surrounded by that, no. I didn't even know that was an option, so I was just creative at school, creative after school, and that, that's why I had the confidence in myself to to know I was able to design. But I think you're kind of pigeonholed when with a designer because I think in school they're like you have to be able to draw, you have to be yeah. able to be a good artist, and right. I I wouldn't say that about myself, but I can visualize. You know, I mm -hmm. um, I've done my own home and I've done my um, you have new the office. Idea of taste. Yeah. You've got the taste behind you. Well, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll let you say that. Without yes. being, you know, the artist in like the traditional sense. Yes. Because you don't have to be to have a good taste and a good style and an understanding of people. And as long as you find someone who can actually understand what you're visualizing and they're good at the technical aspects mm. and they're able, they somehow get your you get your vision across to them yeah. and they are able to do the technical drawings, mm. then that's fine. Yeah. Um, I, how I mean, how I even <laughs> went from this, you know, thinking of the idea and launching the collection, that is, it was a tough one. Yeah. Um, this whole industry, this like whole leather industry, 
is underground. You know, it was built before online, before digital, and it's still underground. So they're manufacturers, they don't need, they're not brands, they don't need to be online, they don't need to showcase themselves. They just work with their current clients and yeah. contacts. So I was like, how the hell am I going to find a manufacturer? But I knew there were some around East London, but you Google and they wouldn't come up. Yeah, it's not the kind of thing that's like, okay, here are some, exactly. I'll go, you know, it's something that takes a lot of time as well. Exactly. So I, I knew on Brick Lane, there was quite a couple of leather wholesalers, like leather jacket wholesalers. Mm-hmm. So I literally went door to door, knocking and be like, do you know a manufacturer? Do you know a leather? skin wholesaler, they're like, speak to my brother over, speak to my brother over. They call themselves brothers, they're not actually brothers, but they know each other well. <laughs> and it took me about six months to come up, to, to find a good leather supplier and a leather workshop. Oh, okay. Just from being passed around like a ping pong ball. Yeah. Because that's the only way to do it, because I never had the contacts, so... I was just relying on one person to put me in touch with another person to put me in touch with another person. And that's how it happened. But you were ambitious and you wanted to get it done. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because like, when I think about, can I do this now, a few years later, I'm like, oh my God, I had so much energy at the time, (laughs) patience. You do have to have patience with something like that, I would say, with launching your own company, no matter what it is. And when you find the workshop, they have the contacts for like a pattern maker and the knife maker with knife makers. Um, if those who don't know bags, to you can't just cut the leather skin by hand. It's very difficult. So you need they almost look like cookie cutters of the yeah, shape of part bags yeah, yeah. To, to cut leather. So that's how I went from an idea yeah, yeah. to finding. Yeah. So. I'm happy with the fact that it's a once a year collection because that's how I want the brand to be. It's um, nice because it's more like niche. It feels like it's more exclusive. And also there's such timeless designs that you're not doing it based on trend. Yes. So it's not some like something is in and then it's out the next year. It's a bag that can last you, you know, years and years. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I had in mind when I the brand that's why I wanted um, because for me that's why I want in a bag I don't want to buy something and then three years later people are like oh my god that's so like 2016 right exactly that's <laughs> what you don't want <laughs> no I mean I hopefully you can envision these bags that in front of us that mm-hmm. like I mean the pearly there which is about in 10 years time people wear yeah, that cool and, and everyone like, of different ages as well Yes, I think. I think yeah, I've, I've seen my customers really vary in, mm-hmm. in age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that was so 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 important to me. I didn't want something to be throwaway, and so for me, it made sense to do it once a year and take time producing a beautiful collection, yeah. um, and for it not to be seasonal, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And the leather I use also keeps that seasonless. Mm-hmm. And I think to not go down the trend route, I never watch really what's trending. Mm. So to keep it classic looking, as I said, my inspiration is from current climate, society, and it comes almost like a 
as if you know how artists are informed for their artwork. Yeah. Same with me, and yeah. so that's why the designs are quite different from yeah from, uh, from other bags and what's, what's trending exactly. Yeah, and you can really tell your inspiration is more art. Like I feel like to me the bags look more like an art piece, even though they're really wearable. They look more like an art piece, bag, mm. which I think is really nice. Um, so I know we touched on this a bit, but your collection is really about being eco-friendly and sustainable. Mm -hmm. So could you just speak about why that's so important for you? I know you mentioned about uh, the factory and making, like you're having your production in East London. Yeah, and the social impact. Mm -hmm. That is the main kind of ethos, Paradise Row, social mm -hmm. impact. Yeah. But the other side to it is like there's so many benefits to making locally as well, because you know, when you launch a fashion brand and often they become international fashion brands, people don't realise that you get the material from and you have, might have 20 parts to the, to the product from different countries and you ship them over everywhere and then, and then, um, so that, that really results into high carbon emissions. But because yeah. it's local, I could like walk or take a bus to my manufacturer and the wholesaler and everyone who works for the brand and I've kept this local because I was like well it makes sense there's so many talented people in this area from the back operations to the front so me I, I'm from um, Beth Green my um, so the workshop and the wholesalers based in Dalston my employees from Shoreditch, my other employees from Stoke Newton, photographers, so Hackney, <laughs> graphic designers from Bethnal Green. So everyone, I said, this so keeping everything local that really helps with low carbon emissions as well, mm. and like that's important to me. I even like the packaging is even produced in the UK as well. So um, and then uh, leather. Well, leather is vegetable tanned leather. Oh, is it? Yes, and. Um, it's just so beautiful and it wears so well. It's the most expensive type of leather. Vegetable tan leather, the process of that is used to be the artisanal method of making how to make leather over, you know, 60 years ago, 50, 60 years ago. 90% of world's leather now that you see is chrome tanned. So chrome tan has really taken over. And chrome tan is converting the animal skin into leather using chromium salts. It's faster, it's cheaper and you kind of get the some colours that you wouldn't be able to with vegetable tan leather. Yeah. With vegetable tan leather, you dig pits deep into the ground and you use nature's resources like parks, leaves, trees, fruits like berries and the natural occurring tannic acid in those vegetation converts the animal skin into leather. And that's how they used to make leather. Um, back in London a long time ago until chromium sourcing. And so if chromium tanned at leather is mismanaged, it's damaging to the environment. For me, I just thought the leather, the vegetable tan leather, you cannot beat this. Like, if you look at it, you can see the dye goes straight through to the skin. And such a good quality leather that you don't even need lining inside the bags. Like, the leather is oh, so beautiful okay. that I actually just uh, decided to showcase it. You've just launched your new collection. Well, actually, it's launching 
end of October. And so you've done it in collaboration with the artist Venetia Berry. Yes. So can you tell us about how you worked together with the artist to create this collection? It's so interesting. So we followed each other from the very, very beginning and watched one another develop and kept in touch and so on because we respected one another's work. <coughs> and then we just, when we caught up, we were like, why don't we just start a collection together? We both said that we'd really like to collaborate with one yeah. another. And it came at such a good time because, as I said, you know, different collections are inspired by uh, different aspects of society. And I was really thinking of a third collection to do, you know, the arts. And I wasn't sure what yet, but something within the arts. And Venetia, she's known for her paintings and, and to kind of get the viewer reflecting of, about this kind of uh, dichotomy between female and male gaze mm. and drawing female news from a female perspective. And that's yeah. what she's known for. And we were like, okay, why don't we do your kind of iconic sketches and emboss it into the bag and it's so funny because at the time we didn't really think about it then a year later there's this whole movement of me too and mm -hmm. feminism mm -hmm. and so it's just come at the right time i think the bags look like a perfect collection of her aesthetic paradise for aesthetic yeah. really done it 50 50. so you guys will see that collection soon so <laughs> watch out for it um, okay, so with every self-started business comes struggles to overcome. So have you had any moments since you started Paradise Row where you felt like it wasn't going to work out? I never thought I it wouldn't work out, funnily enough. I think you, there's, there's always launching a business, you have to have some form of optimism and hope. Yeah, yeah. And if, when you start feeling that way, it could be a very slippery slope. Obviously, so many obstacles have come in the way that, mm -hmm. but I think for an entrepreneurial mindset, it's very good that like an obstacle comes where you don't give up. You kind of your enjoyment is to find another solution. Like yeah. always, when a door closes, another one opens. Yeah, just have true. to have that sort of personality like to be able to, to to launch a business. There was. There's never a time where I thought it's not working out. I just thought, well, if it's not going in the direction I want to, then I'll have to take it another direction. Mm. But I think what's very difficult, because I didn't, I didn't come from a brand yeah. industry or fashion industry, is not having a contact. So I see a lot of brands leveraging their contacts, especially with influencers, and being able to be like mainstream immediately. But it works for me that I'm not. I quite, quite like this organic growth and yeah. actually growing true fans and followers of the brand. Exactly. But yeah, there's, there, there's, there's times where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, some other brands have it so easy. I've got to work like 10 times as hard just to, for people to recognize or notice the brand. And it takes time, especially exactly. if you're a new brand, to get yeah. that recognition at yeah. the beginning. And so that's a little bit disheartening because everything seems to be about social media at the moment. So. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I think it's very tough for small brands, especially people like myself who haven't started in the industry yeah. completely from scratch. But other than that, uh, no, I, I never for a moment thought to pack this in. I mean, yeah, you hear different perspectives from different people and 
it's such a nice thing when you know something is going to work out, or you you know it will work out in some way, mm -hmm. shape, or form, no matter mm -hmm. how you get there. You know, yeah, you could take a different path, but you want to get the same end result. I think people don't realize how actually powerful the brand is more than the product. So if you really create an incredible brand yeah. and a product doesn't work out, you could easily just keep the brand and go yeah. into something else. Right. That's interesting. So for me, the brand was priority and then the product. And so say the handbag doesn't work out, then I've got to think about something else. But the brand is yeah, always the there. Yeah, the identity of the core yes. message is always there. Yeah. Okay, so what are three characteristics of yours which make you a successful entrepreneur? I think um, optimism or solution finder, kind of like mm -hmm. when problems come up. That's definitely one. Um, so as I said before, like the obstacle really stops you in your tracks and the yeah. door closes, you've got to find some yeah, other way. Yeah, it's like a challenge or a puzzle. And I guess that comes from your previous career as well. Yeah, as management consultant, yeah. right. Always trying to solve problems. Yeah. So yeah. problem solver, mm -hmm. that's one. I think you have to have passion. The reason why Paradise Row is going the way it is, is because my main driver is not business or money. Right. If you judge it on brand going well and like how it's been featured, people taking notice, mm -hmm. the money comes later, the sales come later. You judge yeah. it on the kind of engagement you're getting first. Yeah. So my passion, it's not money orientated at all. Mm -hmm. The passion is the end goal, social impact. I just keep thinking like if I just did a business for the sake of it being a business, and not having this kind of social goal at the end, mm -hmm. then maybe I would be like, oh, I'm tired of this. Maybe you're right. But because it's something else underlying the foundation, and that's the passion, yeah. I think that's what keeps me going. So problem solver, passion, because yes. I think a lot of brands, after a couple of years going, they kind of stop, really have the passion to begin right. with, or oh, did you, it? was it just the glam of, starting yeah. a business for the sake of starting a business. Yeah, because there's a lot of hype, especially now in like social media age. It's like, oh, everyone has to be their own entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has to have a business. Even I was thinking when I came out of university, my social media was doing well. I was like, I feel like I should launch a company. I kind of want to. Yeah. I have no idea what I would want to do. Yeah. But I feel like I had that in my head. Yeah. But doing it for the sake of doing it is not a good no, reason. No, no, no. And especially no, no. doing it for the sake of like money or fame, just like being on social media, it never works out. You have to really out. be passionate about what you're doing. And the more love and passion you give into it, it will come back. Yes. And hard work. You have to okay. truly, truly love it, regardless of looking at money or sales. Yeah. I think you have to be, I think you have to be sociable. Yeah. Sociable and talk well and communicate well and want to I mean, network sounds very corporate, but, but wanting right. to meet people and shout about your brand and what you're mm -hmm. doing, because really, if you're not that sort of personality, it's not going to take off. Right. So yeah. it's true. So it's, you've got to be a people person, I think, because no one else is going to shout out your passion for you. Mm -hmm. No PR agency or anyone can do it as much as you can do it yourself. So. Right. And I feel like now I've built a really strong following around the brand and that's because I have met people, I've talked to people about the brand and mm -hmm. not in a kind of 
like forced way just so yeah. naturally yeah and I do sit back and think like well wow if I wasn't a sociable person and so on I don't think you it, might not have it, gotten yeah. the success you're having exactly so problem solver, passion, and being sociable. Yeah, those are good ones, definitely. Okay, so the last question. Where can everyone find Paradise Row? What are your plans for the future? So, in, so first of all, internationally we ship worldwide on our website, mm -hmm. paradiserowlondon.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram at paradise.row. But if you'd like to see the bags in person, we're stocked in some very um, amazing established department stores in London. Uh, we're starting with the shop of Bluebird, which yes. you know about, uh, which is based, the flagship store is based in Covent Garden, and, and then you have one in Westmore Grove, Notting Hill. Yeah. And then we're also uh, stocked in Fortnum Masons, which I think that department store, store started in 1703 and that's in Piccadilly. We're also in Fenwick on Bond Street. So those Lots are... Lots of big names have picked you yeah, up that's, by now. Yes. And then we're also in an incredibly cool concept store um, in King's Cross uh, called Earl of East in Cold Drops Yard, Drops Yard and in uh, London Fields Hackney which are like quite like the kind of cool edgy mm. upcoming areas. Yeah. And then in New York, well, we're yeah. in the one and only Bergdorf's, the best apartment so store in the whole of the US. Yeah. And also online on Bergdorf's as well. That's amazing. Um, they put us in their window on Fifth Avenue. Oh my gosh. I, mean, I need to see if there are photos. Yeah, yeah. There's, that is the ultimate dream to it be is. on Fifth Avenue in New York in the window. Yeah. I could not oh believe it. One of those accomplishments as well. I know. And then I think for the future for Paradise Row, um, as I said, I'm, I'm in love with leather and so on, and I want to evolve it into a leather goods business, mm -hmm. a London leather goods business. There's a lot of leather stationery brands out there, but I want it to be a leather lifestyle brand, so uh, leather items that you can um, purchase for your home, like oh. leather cushion, leather tableware, yeah, things like, like that. that. Leather chairs. And then also, as you know, that we've got collaborated with quite a few um, restaurants and hotels. We do wine menu covers, uh, bill holders, and cutlery pouches, and we've collaborated with them. You can see that on our collaborations page on the website, and we're gonna really progress and move forward with that and try and expand with that. And so when people go to a restaurant or hotel, they're like, oh, I want that for our home. And then you can see yeah. it, and you can actually purchase it on the That's website. Really so good. yes. A British luxury leather goods brand. Yeah. That's what I want to evolve into for yeah. 2020. Well, on that note, so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank so you, Bianca. Make sure you check out Paradise Row and Nika on Instagram as well. So my personal handle is Nika Diamond underscore. So yeah, make sure you go check it out. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye! Bye.